Our Father, we're, we're thankful that you've asked us to come boldly to the throne of grace. Our expectation, Father, is to receive, therefore, from you mercy, grace, and comfort as we do so. So, Father, we, we do come boldly, uh, though in our natures we would shirk and away from such boldness. So how could we have such boldness with you, Father, apart from your invitation? And so we do come. Uh, Father, I thank you that you have worked out our redemption so perfectly and uh, applied it to our hearts in such special and intimate and personal ways, individual ways, Father, uh, so that all of us have a testimony, but they're all unique, uh, except the common thread, of course, has to do with uh, that thread woven down through Scripture, the scarlet thread, uh, focused in on our Lord Jesus Christ and what he came to this earth for, what he has accomplished on our behalf through his death, the shedding of his blood, taking our place, sacrificing himself, uh, and uh, securing our redemption. Father, thank you for his glorious resurrection. Thank you that we can rest in your sufficiency and your grace as a result. And I pray, Father, that we would be uh, lights in this darkness and uh, witnesses for all those still suffering uh, without the hope that we have a special and an eternal hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, may this time be a time of outreach, therefore. May you embolden us to speak to others who seem to be coming our way. <clears throat> we know there are no accidents in this world. So, Father, we just look for opportunities and open doors to, to be a witness of all that you have revealed to us and accomplished for us through our Lord Jesus Father, I pray that our governmental leaders would have wisdom, though we know ultimately, Father, it's up to you. Uh, keep remembering that scripture. <laughs> Can't help but remember it. If the Lord build not the house, they labor in vain that build it. So, Father, you've reminded us through that and other, many other uh, wonderful passages of scripture that you are sovereign over all things here. So, Father, though the enemy rages like a lion, you, of course, uh, are there to to draw uh, many to yourself in these uh, times. And indeed, Father, that's that's the silver lining uh, of all that's occurring. But, Father, we we do pray for those that uh, are on, in harm's way there uh, because they're in the medical profession in one way or another. And uh, certainly includes some here in our group. And, uh, Father, we just thank you uh, for them and for their loved ones who are also perhaps uh, on the front lines there. So, Father, there are so many things that we have on our hearts and in our minds and many unspoken things as well. Uh, miss our brother Roy today and pray for him uh, with many health issues and other issues, too. So, Father, we look forward to opening your word now, and may it be a great blessing to us. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.
Well, it was sort of my plan. <laughs> I changed it, but it was sort of my plan to uh, go for a third time on the subject of the uh, glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and all that's been accomplished through that. But um, in the end, I decided not to do that and to save that teaching for another time. Uh, so today we go back to Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. And our title today will be, We are not appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Okay, so as we've said a number of times now here on Sunday mornings, uh, since this national and world crisis has begun, uh, we're living in challenging times. No one can deny that. Um, for some, they may seem even more challenging than ever faced before. But for others, not so challenging, since <laughs> the challenges of the past are so well remembered and nothing really perhaps can compare uh, to those. However, what Paul writes here to the Thessalonians is extremely relevant to us, whatever our circumstances may be. And uh, and that's because the times uh, that we live in, remember, we're living under the dispensation of the grace of God. And the times uh, that we live in are therefore not essentially different uh, as uh, one century passes into the next. Specific challenges are very different, perhaps, but the circumstances of believers uh, are essentially always the same. I mean, we face enemies on every level, right? Uh, Satan and his uh, willing accomplices are aligned against us, and so it has ever been. And uh, persecution is the common uh, experience, therefore, of Paul says, of all who live godly in Christ Jesus. So uh, those are our biggest challenges. It's easy to focus on uh, other things, and we do that much, but it's also easy to take our mind off of what's most important. So considering that this life is a preparation for eternity, and therefore, uh, as is often said, uh, having eternity's values in view is, is so critically important. And uh, so when we go on uh, here in, in, in the first letter to the Thessalonians, which was, I think, the first letter Paul wrote, uh, it could even be the first letter written um, in New Testament times. That's not so clear. It could be that uh, James wrote his letter first. But um, in any case, the first letter to the Thessalonians is written uh, early, uh, very, very early. And even there in that letter, Paul is expressing uh, some pretty significant truth regarding uh, the differences between our uh, expectation and hope and that of the Jews who had uh, prophetic scripture pointing to future times of great, great trial for Israel and for the Jews. And uh, so we're living in different times than those that were prophesied. And that's really Paul's focus here 
in this uh, letter, and in most of his letters, actually, uh, he does refer to that. Uh, so, to summarize, uh, we've already looked at, uh, at chapter 4, uh, where the rapture is referred to, and so I'd like Gail to start out just by reading two verses there out of chapter 4. They're the, the ones that summarize the teaching there concerning the rapture of the body of Christ. So, Gail, would you please read for us 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 and 14. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Thank you, Gail. So there are other verses there that explain this further, but that's that's the essence of the teaching there. That's sort of in one, one short statement. Uh, in fact, in one short statement, it's a summary of the entire letter. Uh, false teachers had come into the church at Thessalonica and had taught differently than Paul had. And that's why he needs to remind them and to reteach them concerning what he had already taught them. The false teachers had turned the faith of some of the believers there upside down because they had expected the rapture. They had a, a constant expectation of the Lord coming in the air and then being caught up to be with the Lord in the air. And uh, they didn't really uh, expect that some of their own would have uh, been called home to heaven's glory first. They really didn't expect that. Uh, and when that happened, uh, and false teachers told them, apparently told them, this we can't be totally sure of, but apparently told them that those who had died would miss the blessed hope. And what a terrible thing. So I believe their concern was for uh, their brethren who had gone to be with the Lord and not for themselves. Uh, and that was why their faith was so totally uh, turned upside down to miss the expectation of the blessed hope and its realization somehow would be a great, great thing indeed uh, for someone to experience, especially if those who had gone on to be with the Lord uh, were themselves not only expecting the blessed hope, but perhaps persecuted because of it, maybe even martyred, okay? So... Um, that would surely upset the faith uh, of someone if they took that kind of teaching to heart. So that's what we see there in uh, in First Thessalonians chapter four. Um, the rapture is uh, revealed in a simple way, without lots of teaching as far as exactly how the rapture fits into the whole program that had been prophesied uh, for Israel, okay? So that program prophesied for Israel from even, <laughs> in fact, it was prophesied and hinted at even from the foundation of the world, right? Uh, and then finally through the prophets, uh, the fathers of the nation, first of all, and then the prophets, uh, it was further detailed so that was a kingdom hope, kingdom meaning here on this earth in that case, 
um, that was promised to Israel. And that would be established after the tribulation ended and after the second coming had occurred. Okay, so how the rapture of the church, the body of Christ, fits into all that isn't being detailed here in chapter 4. Uh, however, it is as we go on here into chapter 5. Paul finishes that section in chapter 4 with these words, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Okay, so comfort uh, is to be our uh, ongoing, uh, continual uh, circumstance of life. Dwelling in comfort even as the times we live in are very, very dark indeed. Okay, and not suffering loss as others who have no hope. Okay. So that's uh, the teaching there. Today I'd like to proceed on in chapter 5. We've already started that study in chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. We'll go through that again. It's been a few weeks since we were there, and I don't want you to forget what we've uh, already learned, or at least I hope we've learned. Outline today is pretty simple, first of all. The dispensational contrasts between grace and the tribulation are like night and day. <laughs> okay, that's the first one. The dispensational contrasts between grace and the tribulation are like night and day. And that's verses 1 through 8 in 1 Thessalonians 5. And then the life of believers living under grace is dramatically different from those living in the tribulation verses 9 and following there. Okay, first of all, the dispensational contrast between grace and the tribulation. In other words, the dispensational period of grace and then the tribulation is like night and day. Okay, well, Paul has already said in, in chapter 4, and chapter 5 just is in that same context as chapter 4. So let's not expect he's changing the subject here uh, in chapter 5. Still the same basic subject. We're to be encouraged, uh, not led into anxiety and fear by what Paul writes here, just like he had indicated there in chapter 4. And that really does um, provide the context, and it makes a big difference, I think, to take context into uh, consideration when we're uh, reading Scripture and uh, seeking understanding from God the Holy Spirit, right? So uh, what he's going to be doing here in chapter 5 is, is saying living under tribulation is not like living under grace, okay? It's very, very different, okay? If we were living in the tribulation, <laughs> we would therefore be experiencing things that had been prophesied in the Old Testament or our, by our Lord himself when he, he spoke often of the coming trial that would come upon Israel and the Jews, right? Um, and after which, ultimately, uh, Christ himself would return uh, to establish his kingdom, right? Remember, the kingdom is a is the introduction to the uh, eternal um, promise and uh, uh, inheritance uh, 
of, uh, of believing Jews. The kingdom on this earth was what had been promised to them. It's not that they wouldn't have that and have something eternally, they would, but uh, the earthly kingdom was promised uh, for believing Jews. Okay, so uh, Christ has to return in order to establish that kingdom, which will last a thousand years, right? So the time leading up to that, the tribulation period, was a time of great trial called, in fact, we've looked at this often before, but called the time of Jacob's trouble. And that's uh, Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, the time of Jacob's trouble, the great tribulation period. Okay, so the rapture of the church must occur before the Lord God again turns his attention to Israel. Remember, today God's attention is not on Israel, it's on the church. In fact, Israel as a nation has been downtrodden by the Gentiles uh, for a great, great, great many years. Finally, uh, beginning in 1948, there was a United Nations uh, declaration that, that, uh, that a piece of land, a small piece, would be set aside for Jews. It mainly had to do with uh, the uh, Holocaust and uh, the uh, effect of that and that many Jews uh, had gone to Palestine and many who survived the Holocaust after the end of the war went there as well as refugees, right? So um, 1948, there was a, a nation established there under... Uh, United Nations uh, edict, okay? Uh, a small sliver of land along the coast is what was declared uh, to be for the Jews. Uh, that's been expanded. There have been wars. The wars were perpetrated uh, by the nations surrounding uh, that small na nation of Israel. And the Jews in victory uh, were able to take additional lands but still nothing compared to what the Bible uh, has prophesied will uh, be part of that land uh, of promise that God has promised to believing Jews someday, right? So the rapture must occur first, and then at that point God will change his focus from the Gentiles and from the body of Christ over again to Israel. Um, the rapture must occur first. Well, we've already looked at these first verses in chapter 5, but I want us to uh, look at them again now uh, just to get the context here for the three most critical verses that are <clears throat> verses 9 through 11. Okay, so um, Linda, would you read for us First Thessalonians chapter 5, Verses 1 through 3. But of the times and of the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write of you, unto you. For yourselves know perfectly the, that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Thank you, Linda. And uh, to continue on, Patty, would you please read verses 4 through 8. 
But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. Okay, thank you. Well, um, the false teachers had come in, and they had uh, apparently taught uh, quite a lot that was contrary to what Paul had already taught these believers. And one thing they had taught was that uh, the rapture had been missed. <laughs> uh, and uh, they were in the tribulation period. And so what he's basically doing here is to say, hey, that cannot be. <laughs> that when you realize that the nature, the uh, essential nature of what the tribulation will be, It'll be the time of Jacob's trouble, and when you realize the nature of that and compare it with where you are living today under grace, you see there's there's hardly any similarity at all. So basically his argument here will be, well, you, you already know, I don't need to teach you about the times and the seasons. There are a lot of reasons why. I already taught you about it, uh, but you're not even going to be there. So it's not directly relevant to your lives today to know all about that and now if in fact they were going to be living in the in the tribulation uh, <laughs> uh, and of course they would need to know the details they need to be watching for signs and so forth wouldn't they that's what uh, had been taught by the prophets and that's what our lord also taught during his earthly ministry to the jews so paul is basically saying here you don't need to know about this because you're, you, you're not going to live in that time. In fact, you're living in a different time altogether. And that's really the teaching there in those eight verses. But I want us to look carefully at it. He uses language which um, is very uh, concrete and, and extremely detailed and meaningful. In fact, in a number of different ways, he contrasts uh, what living in that period would be like with what it was like for them at that time and what it's like for us living under grace. Living under the tribulation rule is not like living under grace. We have to understand these differences. If we do not rightly divide the word of truth and see this, we'll be thoroughly confused about what God is doing today. And so... Even in this first verse here, he he uses language that, to make that clear. He uses the, the expression times and seasons. That's only used in one other place, and it's in Acts chapter 1, uh, where the, where the uh, disciples, the apostles, say <clears throat> that, um, well, is, now, is, is it now the time? See, the resurrection has occurred. Okay, the death and resurrection is past. Well, then is it time to establish the kingdom? That's what they asked, because that was the next thing they expected uh, after a time of tr trial, right? Uh, and he says, well, uh, it's not for me to uh, 
to deal with that now. It's not it's not the uh, it's not what you need to know right now, right? Um, and uh, because the the time of uh, of the return of the Lord is something that they couldn't know, and that was by the will of the Lord. They could not know that, and uh, they, no t- dates could be set, right? Um, well, so he uses that expression, times and seasons. That's a prophetic term relating to uh, the, uh, the coming tribulation period and the return of the Lord at the end of that seven-year period. He uses also this other expression, the day of the Lord, referring to that same period of time. And we've looked a lot at that in the past, so I'm not going to say much more now about it. If you want to read more about it, you can go to Zephaniah chapter 1 and Zechariah chapter 14 in the uh, Old Testament and many other places. The day of the Lord is a time uh, of great judgment for Israel and at the end of it, a time of great rejoicing as uh, uh, the elect nation of Israel will be saved at the second coming and uh, the kingdom will be established, right? So the day of the Lord in, includes the 1,000-year kingdom and the seven-year period before it and the second coming there uh, at the end of that seven years and before the 1,000-year kingdom is established. And we also see other terminology here, verses 3 and 4, peace and safety. Uh, and then he uses other language to express uh, his point here. Uh, night and day are terms that are used, and then the personal pronouns, them and us, uh, third person and and first, okay, um, to distinguish these different times. All right, so peace and safety. Well, he says they will say peace and safety, and then trial will come upon them. This is the language uh, that you also have learned from Christ's earthly teaching. Remember in Matthew 24 and 25, and there are certain parables told there often in his uh, earthly teaching uh, relating to those coming times and uh, how they will come upon those that are living uh, who are not prepared uh, in uh in a way that's completely unexpected. And so he says you need to be watching for the signs. If you're not, you'll miss uh, the critical uh, turning points and you will end up being uh, part of the judgment, right? That's what he's really saying. You remember the parable of the ten virgins, for example. It's all about that, right? Um, Okay, so... In the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, there will be peace established on this earth by the ruling one world government. There will be peace on on earth, such as there has not been. We've had wars down through the centuries, many great wars, in fact, right down through the centuries. But finally, after the rapture of the church, there will be peace established. There will be a one world government. It will be established by force. And so there will be no wars or rumors of wars at that time until the end of that first three and a half years, okay? Um, 
when uh, all of a sudden uh, everything is going to <laughs> uh, change pretty radically as the Antichrist is openly revealed through uh, his servants, uh, the false prophet, the beast, and so forth. All right? So believers are during, uh, during those first uh, three and a half years are to be ready and waiting, watching, looking for the signs that will signify the time that they should flee into the wilderness. And you can read about that in Matthew 24 and 25, Luke 21, and Revelation chapter 12. Okay? Now he uses also the language uh, of night and day and then those personal pronouns. Night and day, those are normally used of... Um, periods of time during the 24-hour solar day, right? We all know what night means, what day means, right? But here, he's going one step beyond that and using the terminology to apply to a period of time. So there's going to be night and there is day. And he's saying those that live in the night will have to face all of this. But you, he says, are living in the day. Okay, so he's speaking dispensationally of different uh, dispensational periods uh, and the rule of God in those different periods. Uh, he also uses the personal pronouns. He speaks of them, meaning those who are living in the night on the one hand, and us or we who are living in the day. On the other hand, again, this is dispensational teaching, okay? So, really what he's doing here is is leading up to the next three verses where he's going to very uh, powerfully, I w in fact, I would say, if you're looking for scripture uh, to base your blessed hope on, you know, that the Lord's going to return, for you before the tribulation, it will be in these three verses, verses 9, 10, and 11, uh, as much as anywhere. Usually, teachers go to chapter 4 for the teaching regarding uh, the rapture, but really, uh, that's just the introduction. Chapter 5, and then even in Second Thessalonians, where we'll go after we finish chapter 5 here, uh, where we find the more detailed teaching. There you can establish your, uh, your rapture hopes securely without any question at all. Unfortunately, there are many false teachers today, who, even some who previously accepted the pre-tribulation view of the rapture, who have now given it up because they want to look for signs and wonders and miracles happening today. It's a sad, sad thing. Okay, so that finishes up the first first eight verses there, where, uh, as I said, uh, the uh, the dispensational contrasts between grace and tribulation are like night and day. Okay, night and day. Okay, now we go on and uh, <laughs> into our second section here uh, to see how dramatically different, and he's going to focus just on one particular, particular aspect of that, but how dramatically different living today under grace is from living in the tribulation period. Okay, when you see the differences, you know that uh, the church cannot ever be in the tribulation, because if it were, there'd be a confusion totally as to what God is 
focused on on what work God is doing. What God is doing in the tribulation is not at all what God is doing today, in other words. Um, cannot mix the two without great confusion. Okay, I'd like um, Lydia so to read these three verses, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9, 10, and 11. For God, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Very good. Thank you, Lydia. Thank you so much. That's great. Okay, those verses are key. Okay, so now we've reached the main point of Paul's teaching here in the first letter. These are the culminating verses. Uh, the issue is concerning hope and expectation. What is our hope to be today as believers living under grace? Is it to be the tribulation period? Or is it to be the voice, the call, and the shout catching us up into heaven's glory, right? <laughs> That's the issue. So uh, Paul addresses it now uh, with language that's appropriate, considering everything that's gone before here. And he says in verse 9, we're not appointed to wrath. Well, who was appointed to wrath? The Jews were appointed to wrath. It was prophesied all the way back, okay, that because of their rebellion, they would ultimately not not receive the promised land initially, but go through a time of great trial. They were appointed unto wrath. It's the time of Jacob's trouble, right? He says here, you Thessalonians have not been appointed to wrath meaning to that period of time. Those others who will be living in the night, they're appointed to it. You're living in the day. You're not appointed to it, okay? Um, so <laughs> it's true for us today. I mean, we're not appointed for that time, but a different expectation altogether is ours, right? And now he uses these words in verse 10, wake and sleep. And this is really where... <clears throat> the whole focus uh, should be because this is uh, this is the great statement <laughs> oh my uh, <clears throat> God hath not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that whether we wake or sleep we should live together with him wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as also you do okay so what is he talking about here now i know from much past experience and many uh, opportunities to teach these truths that uh, there are conclusions uh, drawn that are uh, that seem so proper that are yet entirely wrong because of the words wake and sleep here. If I asked you what that refers to, I think you might say, 
Well, the ones who are awake are the ones who are still alive when the Lord returns, and the ones who are sleeping are the ones who've died. Because in chapter 4, he refers to those, right, in that way, right? We have to take note, though, that there is a different word in the original language used here, altogether different, okay? That word for sleep here in verse 10 is not the same as the word for sleep in chapter 4. The word for sleep in chapter 4, if you do a word study on it, you'll see it's often used really euphemistically, speaking you know, in a very positive way, of those who have died because they have fallen asleep, as it were, right? Not literally. They're not literally asleep. The word is used metaphorically, right? <clears throat> it's used uh, in, in what's called, what's said to be euphemistically. They've fallen asleep, but they've really died, okay? And that word there, that Greek word, if you do a word study, you'll see it very clear. That word is used often of death, physical death, right? And it's also used of actual physical sleep. It's used in both ways throughout the, the, the New Testament, okay? But this word found here in chapter 5, verse 10, is a different word, okay? And it never is used of death. Do a word study, you'll see that to be the case, okay? So the teaching is very different here than you might have thought. When he says here, Christ died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. He's not saying whether you're alive or have already uh, gone to be with the Lord at the time of the rapture. He's talking about whether you're alert and and, and uh, therefore not drowsy and sort of missing out on uh, the benefits of this life or whether you uh, are are drowsy <laughs> and, and are missing out on what's really going on around you. Either way, we will live together with him. In other words, this is a gracious exhortation because the certainty of the rapture is it is ensured for every believer, whether they are alert or not, whether they're engaged or missing out on the full benefits of what it means to live under grace. So this is an amazing thing. This is not, could not be true of those living in the tribulation period. Because if you go back into, into Matthew 24 and 25, you'll see similar language. And, uh, you know, those that are not alert, those that are not watching for the signs, are not going to, in the end, be saved. Because the principle of the tribulation period is that those that endure to the end will be saved. Okay? So there's a big difference in the teaching here compared to what will be true of those living in the tribulation period. This is a gracious exhortation. Whether we are wide awake, as it were, eyes wide open, or you've closed your eyes regarding to all the blessings of grace, and maybe you're caught up in the world, okay? Maybe you've turned away from your precious Savior, Nevertheless, if you've ever been saved, you'll always remain saved and you will be living together with him, meaning at the rapture, okay? Uh, 
you'll be transformed and caught up into heaven's glory. If you've already died, of course, he'll be be resurrected. But, but this here is talking about those who are alive. Uh, okay, so he's, that's the basis for the comfort, you see. And, and with that hope, we'll be able to endure the trials of this life. Uh, that's an amazing and wonderful teaching, and I hope that you grasp onto it fully. In the tribulation period, Jews are appointed to wrath. It's the time of wrath. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. Enduring to the end is required, okay? Now, it's not that they'll endure to the end on the basis of their own strength. God will give a special uh, pouring to the elect. There will be an elect nation saved at the end, okay? Many will die. Many will be persecuted and martyred. Uh, accepting the mark of the beast is, uh, you know, the indication, the final indication there uh, for many that they are lost indeed and they can never be saved. So this teaching here in 1 Thessalonians 5 is so relevant to today. The next thing on our calendar is the rapture, okay? Our expectation ought to be on that, right? Not on signs and wonders and miracles. They'll only lead you astray. In fact, Satan himself is working them. And in the tribulation period, we'll work even more. In fact, <laughs> we'll look at that when we get into the second letter to the Thessalonians, where Paul writes about that in detail, what Satan will do in the tribulation period to lead astray believers, if possible, certainly all unbelievers at that time. And the mystery of that working is already uh, in effect today. Satan is working today, and he is working signs, wonders, and miracles. Don't be led astray by them, because the grace principle is at work today. That's how God is working. The issue today isn't enduring to the end. The issue today is being motivated according to the riches of his grace, as Paul writes everywhere. His abundant grace is so wonderful and so transforming. Well, praise the Lord. I'm wondering if you have any comments uh, or questions. Hi, Jim. It's Lisa. Lisa, go um, ahead. I just wanted this comment and to say what a very, very encouraging teaching that was. And um, I can never hear too much of it. I love these passages, and I just love what you said about them. It's just very, very encouraging, so thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. And uh, it's so, it is so wonderful to have these scriptures and so comforting, isn't it? Yes, it is. It really is, and uh, it's just fun to, to go over them over and over and over again because it lays a strong foundation. It's very helpful. Yes, yes, and uh, well, I we all need comfort and uh, encouragement, and uh, we are certainly receiving it here in these uh, scriptures, aren't we? Especially <laughs> in these times. In these times, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and we don't know the 
details of our future, except we know one thing. There will be a call, a shout, and a voice that we will hear, right? <laughs> that you know for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you'll be caught up to be with him in heaven's glory. And then we'll be gathered together with those that have gone before, right? <laughs> Our precious dear ones who've gone before. Praise the Lord. Um, any other comments or questions? Well, I love that um, Paul says here in verse 10, those who wake or sleep, doesn't matter whether you're aware you even know Right. Or that you're saved. Right. You'll be there. Right. Isn't that wonderful? Yes, it's wonderful. Yeah. It's all him. Yeah, it's all uh, simply based upon whether we believed the gospel, because it, there were, were no works uh, required, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. And <clears throat> so if you try to measure everything by works, <laughs> you'll be led astray for sure, right? Amen. Amen. Any other comments? Hi, Jim. I uh, just want to make a comment on this. You know, Gail just mentioned the uh, uh, the verse 10, you know, either wake or uh, sleep. Mm-hmm. And it just reminds me that 1 Corinthians chapter 3, they talk about the uh, every man's word shall be made manifest mm-hmm. and shall go through fire to try every man's work. Mm-hmm. And uh, whether it will be reward or everything will be burned. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And but you know, we ourselves shall be safe regardless. That's right. And we shall be me, safe. Yeah. Then this reminds me one of the uh um T V series I was watching like I don't know how many years ago, maybe fifteen years ago. David Jeremiah was talking about this specific one. Then he was just encouraging people not to just uh slack. And he said on that day in front of judgments, you know, um, uh, thrown. Then, uh, if you just slacking, not doing anything, going through the fire, then coming out, you'll be naked. <laughs> <laughs> Got no garment to cover you. <laughs> I thought <laughs> that, that joke was quite funny, but it's it's true though. <laughs> well, except you'll have a garment of righteousness, <laughs> right? No rewards, <laughs> but the garment of righteousness, right? Yeah, so Jeremiah was mostly right, but <laughs> just didn't quite get it. <laughs> uh, okay, well, praise the Lord. Let's uh, let's then go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you for gathering us today. Thank you for gathering us in the name and by virtue of the sacrifice, the great, the inestimable sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ for our sins, having paid the full penalty of all sins, past, present, and future, and therefore uh, welcoming us by faith alone uh, into such a special relationship, even a family relationship, even as the sons of God. Father, thank you so much for what he has accomplished for us. Thank you that he's alive today. He's at your right hand waiting for that moment when he shall call us to be to himself. So, Father, we look forward to that. And uh, we uh, earnestly uh, anticipate uh, that call 
that voice and that shout. We earnestly love, Father, his appearing. And I thank you, Father, for that hope. It's certainly a transforming one, and it's certainly a comforting one. Please watch over us all uh, in these uh, quite dark times. But, uh, Father, we know that your work is still being accomplished, your work of grace. And thank you that, therefore, the light is always visible, at least to us. I pray that others also would uh, see the light reflected in us, be drawn to you in these dark days. And we would ask this, Father, in Christ's name, and, and amen, and amen.